then cut to in the 80s, I got this fantastic role of this character in a movie called Pow Wow Highway that George Harrison produced. Junctures from Liverpool, England. The significance is that the Beatles have held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. Hello, I'm Jack, and you're listening to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast, an interview show about the Beatles' influence in the past, present, and future, across the universe, and across generations. I'd like to welcome today's guest onto the podcast. She's a phenomenal actress who has starred in iconic movies such as Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Nightmare on Elm Street, Better Off Dead, and she also starred in George Harrison's 1989 movie, Pow Wow Highway, which was produced by Handmade Films. Here with us today, discussing how the Beatles influenced her life, Amanda Wiss. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me, and I'm well. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. So, I hear you're a big Beatles fan. Yes. So, let's start from the beginning, because I would love to hear how you got into the Beatles. Can you tell us a little bit about how you grew up? Yes. Um, I grew up in Manhattan Beach, uh, California, just south of LAX airport. Um, it's a little beach town. Well, it's not so little anymore, but when I grew up there, it was a, it was like a Beach Boys song. People that lived there that just loved the beach life, surfing and things like that. So, um, you know, I lived near the beach, spent a lot of time there playing volleyball and in the ocean. It was very outdoorsy. It was really a, a magical place to grow up, actually. I don't, I don't know that many of those places exist anymore. Well, that sounds like a really nice setting to grow up in, like right by the beach. <laughs> yeah. When did you first become interested in music and movies? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, I have a, a sister who's quite a bit older than I am. So even as a little kid, I was exposed to her and her friends and, and everybody sort of hung out at that, my house so or my parents' house. And so I was always exposed to whatever they were listening to. There was a couple that lived across the street from us and they were sort of hippies and they would have these things called pick and grins on Sundays and everybody would sit out in their front yard and they'd make a big vat of sangria. Um, and they'd all their friends would come over with banjos and guitars and xylophones and they would just play all this folk music. Um, and so that, like from the time I was very little, we would all just go sit on the curb and listen to all these you know, Classics. they seemed amazing and brilliant to me at the time. I hope they were. Um, then the other thing is, at the time, there used to, now there's like a bike path and all this separation, but there used to just be this walkway called the Strand. And so on, on the weekends when everyone was at the beach, everybody that lived there was out on their porches and all of us were on our bikes or roller skates going back and forth the length of Manhattan Beach, really. And there was just tons of music coming out of everywhere. People had their little, tra I mean, I'm dating myself, but their transistor radios and, um, you know, and, and so a lot of the radio, it wasn't like it is now. They're, pretty much everybody was tuned to the same radio station or had an album on. And so I just remember my whole childhood filled with music. I don't know if that even led to wanting to be an actor. I just... I had auditioned for a play when I was 11, and I got it at this theater in L.A. 
got this play called uh, The Innocence. And that's when I got hooked as far as acting went and decided to, to pursue that. So what was the very first time that you ever heard the Beatles? You know, this is interesting. I have a distinct memory of seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. I don't know that that's possible. And I also, it could very well be that I've seen that clip so many times, I have turned it into something that I witnessed as a small child. Um, But that is my first memory of it. But I don't know if it's true because I would have been, they were on the Ed Sullivan show in 64 and I would have only been four. So I don't know. Um, nah. Hello. Yes, that's my age. Um, <laughs> um, and then, uh, I mean, I just really remember that. But my sister is 10 years older. And what I remember is her and her friends freaking out about the Beatles. And so every time throughout the year, she'd get a new Beatles album. Uh, we had this mantle place next to the stereo system. It, there, were, there was always a Beatles album sitting, leaning on the mantle over our fireplace. And um, I totally remember like, see, like Rubber Soul was up there. Meet the Beatles was up there. The White Album was up there, depending on what was spinning. Or I just, I remember you'd sit on the couch and you'd look up and there, there they were. And what were your thoughts when you heard them? Were you instantly hooked by them? Well, I mean, I was so young, and and the first ones I heard were the upbeat, you know, I want to hold your hand and help, or or those are the ones I remember anyway, Um, and like uh, um, all my loving, but I really remember I want to hold your hand. I just, and then, oh, twist and shout, and I just remember like, you know, dan- like dancing around to those. And so those are my earliest memories are those the real upbeat ones that I, I'm, I'm saying in my mind, they were their, their earlier songs, which I could be totally wrong about that. But I just remember um, um, how much I love those. And then one, t- then at some point I heard, um, I've just seen a face I just went, well, that is my favorite song. And so I, that was my favorite song a lot when I was really young. I just, I don't know why I did, that song just grabbed me and, and it seemed happy or something. Yeah, that's that's a great song too. No, I, I feel like that one should be more popular, you know, because that's, that's one of Paul's great uh, hooks. It, yeah. Throughout the whole song, it just pulls you in, just like you said. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah, and I, I, whenever I do hear it, I sing at the top of my lungs with it because it right. <laughs> So did the Beatles influence your life in any way aside from just music taste? Yes, they did. And, and this is interesting um, <laughs> to me, probably not to anybody else, but they were just so, first of all, I, I was lived at the beach in, in a bit of a hippie culture, um, you know, to many degrees. And I remember in the sixth grade, I got John Lennon wireframe glasses and that became my vibe. And like, he, I, and the funny thing was I was totally like Paul McCartney was my favorite, right. but um, I ended up getting this like 
white sort of piratey shirt and then this suede mini skirt. And it was my John Lennon outfit in my brain. And I wore that to school mm, three days a week. And then my mom would say, you have to wear something else. So, and, and I also, when I got to be about, you know, when I was a little bit older, you know, in my teens, their search for spirituality really influenced me. It started me on a path of, yoga and meditation and reading all the great spiritual teachers and um, going to see the spiritual teachers. And, um, and that's directly from their stories of doing that. Yeah. I, I used to go through that phase when I, in like the sixth grade, I think that's when, yeah, that's, that's probably about the time when I, I grew my hair out because of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, so that must be the age, you know? <laughs> yeah. You were like, we're trying to find, you know, I think, you know, it's that age where you're not a tiny little kid anymore, but you're not really a teenager yet. And you're trying to find yourself and, and, um, oh my gosh. And, um, I took so much grief for my little outfit, but I felt beautiful and I loved my little wire glasses. So, um, but I always thought that was funny because I was really, you know, like, oh, I had just a massive crush on Paul McCartney. But his style didn't influence me. John, John Lennon's style <laughs> influenced me. <laughs> How did you get started in acting? Well, my older sister was studying at UCLA and had auditioned for a play at this theater in Los Angeles. And uh, I went with her and they had said, oh, we're doing this. Does your little sister, is she an actress? And we were like, no. Um, but uh, anyway, they were doing the, the Innocence, and they asked me to read for it, and I got it. And then the, the year after that, I did a, a play called The Bad Seed, and an agent came. So I ended up getting a commercial agent and a theatrical agent. But I started doing commercials, and uh, so it just sort of happened that way. And then you know, I took drama in high school, and then I studied drama. I studied theater after high school. So, and and you know, knock on wood, you know, I've I've had some slow times, but the I feel really fortunate that you know I've had a career that has spanned forty some odd years, and um, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to make that happen. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you're an icon in in the movie industry. Oh man, I can't believe you just said that. That's so sweet. I don't feel that, but um, that you said that, you're making me like feel emotional. Thank you. That's really sweet. You're very yeah, good. of course. I mean, you are, and you know, I have a question for you regarding one of the iconic movies you've been in. Since your performance in Nightmare on Elm Street was so good, in hindsight, do you think you should have played the lead? <laughs> well, Heather is one of my best friends in real life, so she, you know, I, I, um, I think that she brought something that was just so calm and centered. Like she has this really quiet power. I think, I mean, I would have loved to have been in the movie more or been brought back in the other movies, but I think I was suited well for Tina. And I think I was able to do the job, which was get everybody hooked, you know, in the first 20 minutes. Now, how did you land the role in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? You know, it was just an audition. I was sent the script and I went in 
to audition. And then um, Amy Heckerling had me do an improv with Judge Reinhold. And we sort of improved the breakup scene sitting on the edge of her desk. And it was so much fun because it felt awkward like high school, you know, and we just sat there and, um, and then she just said, do you want this part? I was like, yes. <laughs> so that, that was it. And then it was just so much fun. And, you know, a lot of us are still friends and um, the same with Nightmare on Elm Street and Better Off Dead. Something about those three movies, we all, a lot of us stayed um, you know, we're still in each other's lives and it's kind of special, like my college friends or something. <laughs> and out of all of the projects that you were involved in, do you have an absolute favorite? Well, it's hard because there's a, there's a couple that stand out as favorites, but some are for different reasons. Like Silverado was the most magical film shoot I've ever been on. It was just so big and opulent and everybody was so nice and it was just really welcoming and fun and um, magical. It was just this magical experience uh, um, in beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico for four months. I did a little tiny movie a couple years ago called The Id. So that is a favorite just because it was magical to go down the rabbit hole of such a fun, dark character like it's a real creepy like psychological horror movie Mm -hmm. and then for sheer laughing my self to almost death was better off dead all we did is laugh because curtis armstrong and john cusack and aaron dozier the three guys were they're just stand-up comedians they they are the funniest most talented hilarious people on the planet and we literally would get up, laugh all day at work, have the best time that we were at a, a resort. And we'd go to this place called the Tram Bar at night. And um, they had a, like a jukebox kind of thing. And we'd play music and goof around for a couple hours, go to bed, get up and just do it over again the next day. And it was just, you know, it was yeah, we were all so young and God, it was fun. It was just I, I don't know that I've ever laughed that much on a on a shoot, like to where like literally, like yeah, it was really really <laughs> fun. So speaking of favorites, who's your favorite Beatle? Well, it's it's interesting because obviously I already said I had a crush on Paul McCartney. I just thought he was so cute, and I loved like when he played his guitar and sang, and he would just always look so like nice. And then when he married Linda, I just thought they were the most romantic, dashing couple ever. Um. But then cut to in the 80s, I got this fantastic role of this character named Rabbit that's based on a true character in a movie called Pow Wow Highway that George Harrison produced. Wow. Um, it, was, it was his last film he produced for, with handmade films. And um, for some reason, it's never mentioned when they mention his movies in it. It won a bunch of awards. It's a it's this beautiful story about Native Americans. Um, I play this crazy Texan. It's all based on a true story. Um, it's with uh, Graham Greene, uh, Gary Farmer, uh, Wes Studi, me, A. Martinez, Janelle Romero. It's just fantastic. It's And, you know, I know it's not up there the same as Monty Python and with Nail and I and all those, but we were his, we were the last production. And um, um, so 
I kind of, you know, switched my allegiance to George because he picked me to be in this movie that was like, it's one of the most honorable films I've ever been in that tells a, an important story beautifully. And it was a really fun character to play. And, wow. Yeah. And did you get to meet George at that point? Um, he was at the premiere very briefly um, because Everyone was like clamoring to, I mean, you don't like you walk into the premiere and it's just like, you can feel like all the energy is just focused in one direction and it was at him. So, but he was very, very, very lovely. And it was like, you know, loved my work in the movie and with lovely, but it was ever so brief, which was fine because I'm pretty sure I felt like I blacked out talking to him. Like I couldn't even like really calm down enough to be a human in front of him. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would be the exact same. I mean, he, he picked you. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a testament of how, how great you are at, at acting. So. Oh, um, I, I wish you're so kind. I wish it was. I mean, I've also done some really crappy work and some bad movies too, but, but I always, I, I try to do good work and, and, you know, and, and I do love, love, love what I do. I just, I love helping to tell a story and I love providing entertainment and maybe helping somebody feel something that they were afraid to feel or reveal something to them they didn't know about themselves right. or add quality to somebody's life, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. And that's the exact same thing the Beatles music does as well to some people, you know? Yes, it, it does. And you know what? It's so funny because... And I know it's a carryover from my childhood. Like on Sundays, um, what we do is put on the music and more often than not, it's the Beatles. And we like, you know, like we're making brunch or we're hanging around the house or whatever. And they're the backdrop of so many big moments in my life, you know, whether it's, um, I, I've never had a birthday where everybody in my family doesn't play me the Beatles birthday song, right? you know, and, <laughs> and just, um, I don't know, you know, I just remember like my older sister and her friends, you know, they were protesting things and everybody would be blasting revolution. And I, I just remember all these, these, you know, I don't know, just, you know, oh gosh, I don't know, like, oh, we can work it out. Such a great song. I just yeah. That song yeah. So Sorry, that just popped into my head. I'm like, I'm just now like, but I just remember like so many school dances and and they're the backdrop of so many magical and sad and just big moments in my life because I feel like they were always on and they still are. So, do you have a favorite memory associated with the Beatles? I, you know. I, I, it's so funny because I know there's so many things, but I think like my favorite memory is associated is being in George Harrison's movie, which I know that isn't about the music, but I just feel like, um, you know, I don't know, like that's so that, and then there's, there's another thing, um, um, when, you know, I was young, I, I had, uh, my brother, Steve passed away and I remember hearing, um, uh, carry that weight and 
And that was, and still is like when I hear that, I have it connected to that, but it it made it more beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that that's like a favorite thing, but that's how deep or, or for me, um, I just think that's so, and Hey Jude and, um, yesterday, like I have all those sort of associated with that, but not in a bad way, in a comforting way that I felt like somebody had helped me express grief at a young age that I wasn't able to do, but in a beautiful way and also gives, giving it wings to fly because it's also something that can make you happy at the same time, the music. Does that make sense? Am oh, I absolutely. I think that um, for for many, many people in the world and probably a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, the Beatles have been there in a time I've been there at a time in their life where no one else was able to be there. And, um, you know, even if it's when you're in bed and you have a record on and the Beatles are just singing to you and you only, and, um, they have that, they have that power. I, you just made me remember that I used to sit with these ginormous headphones on. I'd plug it into the stereo and just sit and listen to Beatles albums. Um, when I was a teenager, I would just sit with my feet up, like, I don't know, the stereo was on this thing. Here's the mantle with all the Beatles albums. And I would just plug in my little, with this like squirrely cord and just like, and you're right. And especially like some of their more intimate songs, they do, it It gets right here. Like they're, they're like, this, this one's going out for Amanda. <laughs> like you totally feel that. It's really beautiful. Yeah, with the Beatles, I feel like they have something that no other bands have. What do you think about that? I agree. There is something because it was more like they were. I just got done watching all you know that long documentary, and I I don't know. I feel like I've I hope I think I've seen all the documentaries, um, but it it's like people try to put into words that it's they were more than a band. They were a an experience or um, um, a way of life, or that's just, that sounds dumb when I say it out loud, but they were more than just a band singing songs. And by the way, I also love Bob Dylan. He was my very first concert when I was 11. Oh. At the, I know, and I was right behind him. <laughs> so um, he was the other one I would listen to with my headphones on, and um, I, I just, both of them. I still love both of them. I I. I still listen to Bob Dylan all the time. He just speaks to me, and so as the Beatles do. What is it about them that that <clears throat> makes it spiritual? Well, you know what's interesting in watching the latest documentary of how they would sit around and write their songs. This sort of magical relationship between all of them, you know, obviously um, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, you know wrote a lot of them, but George Harrison and Ringo as well. They just had this symbiotic relationship. It just seemed magical, like their ability to, first of all, always be polite to one another. Uh, and even when right before they were breaking up, watching that documentary, you just saw that there was a deep caring for one another. And I think born of that is this magical storytelling aspect because they they just seem to be in the same 
I don't know, energy of, I, I think it was just the way that they wrote their songs together and helped tell these stories. I mean, I don't know. I can't put it into words, actually. They just had a magical ability to express themselves and that then help us express ourselves by listening to them, I think. Wow. I uh, know. I, I love that answer. I completely agree with it. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's that's just one of those yeah. things where it's it's impossible to put it into words. You just have to feel it. <laughs> well, you know, they seem so connected to themselves and each other, and maybe that's why we can feel so connected to the music. Because it, it was, it's almost like they're channeling it to some degree. It just it just feels bigger than human and and deeper than I think a lot of people go. I mean, yeah. yeah, just their poetry and yeah. And their sense of fun on their lighter songs too. Like they, it wasn't like everything was all heady and heavy. It was just true and authentic and from the heart. That's what it is. And so it goes straight from their heart to our heart. And I think as humans, we crave that. We crave that heart centered connection with others. Yeah. If it's made with love, then you definitely feel the love when it comes through. And you said you've seen the Get Back documentary? Yes. What did you think of that? You know what? I I really, really enjoyed it. And I mean, that was where I really saw how how, uh, respectful they were to one another. Because even when they were annoyed or frustrated, they chose their words carefully and they were respectful with one another. And I thought that was amazing because especially like at the end, they're breaking up and they were still able to be so civil and there must have been such a deep love there. And also they were literally the biggest thing that had ever happened in the world. And they are the only four that know that knew what that was like to be a part of that. And I think that that hold was even when they had their falling outs, fallings out later, I think that still kept them you know, together ultimately, you know, in some way. Um, the thing that I took away too was Yoko Ono seemed so um, like such an intruder. I, I don't, I, and they didn't seem to mind her there. So I, she probably wasn't, but she would sit. it was, the thing was this constant thing of like, she'd have, she was just always rustling papers and just trying to distract from the camera and acting bored and like making these jerky movements and shuffling mail and getting up and sitting down. And, and I was like, why are you there? Like, why are you in inner circle? Like when they show Linda McCartney and she's sitting over on the side with her kid, just enjoying the music. She, But she would just go sit like right in their brain meld. And I just found, I was just like, that was just so weird and how weird for the other Beatles. And yet they were so respectful about it, but it had to have been weird. I mean, she was, I, she full on intruder and, um, but then maybe not. I mean, I don't know that's that, but that was one of my takeaways. I was like, if she shuffles one more piece of mail. Okay. So she was like, she drove me nuts through the whole thing. I'm like, oh my god. Um, so that that's like my funny take on it. But I really just, 
I, I felt from there you really saw like how close they were even when they were breaking up and how much they meant to each other. And that even if they were seeing that, you know, that it, it was the end of the road, they were still able to create some of their most beautiful songs at the very end. And then, oh my God, to be on that roof or being on the ground and see that last show, I mean, in the freezing cold and it was brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I, I really, really, really loved it. And um, so those are my takes on it. And to, yeah. and watching their writing, their, their, their method of writing their songs. I mean, it was just not what I thought. Like they just really sat around and like, like it was a job in a way, like, okay, we're from nine to five, we're going to sit and noodle on the guitar and the piano. And I'm going to throw a word out and you're like, Oh, what rhymes with, Oh, Tucson, Arizona. That's a place. Like, like when they did that, I'm like, I was like, Oh, Jojo. I just thought that was so funny. I'm like, Oh, cause it rhymed. Okay. I was always wondered why they sang about Tucson, Arizona. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? When they do that. that He's He's like, Tucson, Arizona. I'm like, that's why you picked that. So I love that though. I thought that was, I mean, just I great joy watching it. I, and, and it was, Yes. What do you think of it? I loved it. I've been craving that kind of footage for like my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know what else I love? Ringo just was so like you could tell like he's like he was like the in a way that to me it seemed like the center they could all come off of because he didn't have an issue with anyone. Totally. That was my takeaway. And that yeah. he would just and you could see it in his face sometimes like Come on, you guys, get your crap together. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> like, we're all friends here. But did you feel that way? I just felt like he was the one person nobody had a thing with. Yeah, absolutely. Ringo was like the, uh, without Ringo, I don't know if, how they would have survived um, because he was the one that no one had an issue with. And, yeah. um, you know, even when he brought up song ideas, he wasn't that pushy with them. I think he did yeah. like, taking a trip to Carolina and they all just kind of laughed about it. Yeah. And he was laughing too. And he didn't get mad that they were laughing, but then he came in, into the studio with um, Octopus's garden. And I thought that was another great scene. Um, and he played it on the piano and then George Harrison was helping him out with the chords and, and the shift in uh, from like the verse to the bridge. Yeah. And I thought that was a beautiful scene between George and Ringo too. I did too. And that they all played like every instrument. Yeah. That not oh, enough yeah. has ever been mentioned about that. That that they all played, you know, John's at the piano, Paul's at the piano, on the bass, the the drums, oh, I can play the guitar, I'm gonna play the you know, they all played they all just seemed so multi talented. Yeah, and they all switched on and off and then um and then they brought in Billy Preston on the piano, which added another dimension to them yeah. as well. Yeah. I thought it was a great, great, great documentary. And um, I wish there was a fourth part, but then I wish there was also like a three part for each year and each album of the Beatles too. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing if, if somebody, if there was that much footage and, you know, and the other thing too, they dressed so nicely to go sit in that room and write their music. Like you just, where I'm just so used to, you know, people today, everybody'd be in sweatpants or something. Right. Yeah. Doing their tea or, you know, I'm sure later in the afternoon it wasn't tea, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) 
but they just seem so civilized and um yeah i loved it too i loved yeah. it too and it was great to see that to have that like private access yeah oh for sure amanda what are you up to now what kind of projects have you been involved in recently well, since the pandemic, um, I started recording audiobooks, so that's been really fun. Um, wow. You know, just learning how to do that and, and um, a lot of young adult um, books. And I've been working on this little indie series called The Resonator on Amazon. I play Professor McMichaels, who, um, who you know, it's, it's like a monster's, it's, a, it's in the H.P. Lovecraft universe. So mm-hmm. it takes place at Miskatonic U and it's about these young, gorgeous college students and they're all amazingly talented and it's written and directed by William Butler. And um, so it's it's very fun. So I play like a, a professor, but nobody on the show is who you think they are because everybody's kind of a monster and it takes, you know, it's a science fiction and right. scary, you know, I don't know, I guess science fiction, monstery, um, I guess it'd be horror, but it's not really horror because it's, it's more just monsters and sci- science fiction. And then right now I'm filming an episode of The Rookie for ABC, which has been really, really fun with a great cast. And it, they're, I do, you know, guest stars pretty often and it's sadly not the norm to walk on a set that is so beautiful like everybody there is so nice and so joyous and happy to be there and um really I love that Nathan Fillion is like literally too good he's like an angel and our director Bill Rowe is amazing like every every aspect of this has been amazing I have a few more days and I'm very excited and um and then next up uh, I have a deadline to finish a, a book that I'm supposed to be recording, but I've been filming, so I haven't done it. <laughs> and then um, I'm doing a movie. Uh, uh, it's like a country western movie about this country western singer, and I play his ex-wife. And it's um, uh, it's a really good. I'm really super excited about this movie, and um, so there that. And then then I'm open. <laughs> I'd love to be back on a TV series. I just want to go to work every day on a TV series and um, tell a great story that everybody wants to tune into. And, you know, either it's one that drops once a week or one you can binge. I don't even care. I just want to, I want to go back on a TV series and, and uh, have my little TV series family. That's my plan. So maybe the Beatles can make it happen for me. Well, you heard her, everybody. If you have a TV show out there, let us know. No, but I think that'd be great. You know, within the next couple of years, I'm sure you're going to get that easily. Oh, thank you, man. You're so cool. <laughs> well, it's cool that Amanda West thinks that I'm cool. <laughs> but you are. Your voice is so soothing. Oh, my oh, God. Man. I love thank it. You. I'm just sitting here going, okay, I need to slow down. I need to get in your <laughs> groove, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, Amanda, in the next 5, 15, 50, 200 years, where are the Beatles going to be? Do you mean like in the zeitgeist of the world and people? or Yes. I think everything that was old becomes new again, and 
I think they're going to have a huge resurgence. Do you know what I mean? I mean, obviously people know who they are, but I think that they're going to have a, the world needs that heart and that kind of storytelling right now. And I feel like they're going to come back big, like in the sense of they're going to be rediscovered by the younger generation and they'll make it, they'll make the Beatles their own, but in doing so we'll bring it back to the forefront for all to enjoy. That's what I think will happen. Uh, I, I, I would hope so. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see that because in a sense, you know, the Beatles have been every generation's kind of own, every generation's kind of taken on a different kind of ownership of the Beatles. And um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy to say that I, I've kind of taken on my ownership of the Beatles instead of thinking that they're my parents' band. They're kind of my band yeah. in a way when I think of it. And um, You know what? They are your band, though. And I think that's what's so amazing about their music because it's timeless. Their poetry is about the human experience. And that's timeless and ageless. And it stays radiant and it doesn't lose its magic. It's not era specific music. It's human music. I I, com- I completely agree. And there's nothing dated about their sound either. No. They sound contemporary. Their lyrics are contemporary and their, their message is always contemporary and always will be contemporary, which is love, you know? Yeah, you're right. Well said. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was truly an honor to be able to speak with you about the Beatles. And um, I love the shirt, by the way. For those of you who can't see, she's wearing an All You Need Is Love shirt, which is just great. I I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I just want to say thank you for having me. I was just thrilled when you reached out to me. And um, this has been really special and fun for me, too, and meaningful and you're just lovely, and oh, I'm happy you. I've had this chance to chat with you, and you're so knowledgeable, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you all for listening to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. Thank you, Amanda, for coming on. Just want to give a shout-out to my team, Nick, Chris, and Alex, who have been helping produce this podcast. Thank you, guys. If you like this podcast, be sure to follow it for more releases every Wednesday. We're going to have a lot of great guests coming up, and you're not going to want to miss them, so be sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Beatles Earth, and follow Amanda as well, at underscore Amanda Wiss.